In this episode of the Fifth Estate Podcast, we'll be talking about the Andrews Regime's uh, pandemic bill finally passing Parliament, uh, going into the Culleton letter that I promised from previous episodes that you will have to sign up for a yearly booster from Pfizer and the Andrews Regime bans horse-drawn carriages in the CBD. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. everyone and thank you for joining me here on this episode 15 of the fifth estate podcast now uh as with other episodes the covid stats have been released or partial covid stats have been released today so in the 24 hours coming up to where are we friday the 3rd of december 2021 62,214 people undertook a test for the virus of that 1188 people came back positive of, so that brings our active case total number to 12,913. Now, um, of that, it gives you a 1.87% uh, positive test rate per people who test, and unfortunately, 11 people passed away with the virus. So now, speaking about that, the Andrews Regime's draconian um, public health and wellbeing uh, amendment, uh, pandemic management uh, amendment bill finally passed um, the upper house yesterday, so it's likely to be given to the governor for royal assent uh, today or tomorrow or sometime soon, and it will become law from then and we can expect the Andrews regime to enact those laws on the 16th of December. Now, just a little bit about that. There is a campaign for... Um, the governor not to give the bill royal assent, as I've mentioned in a previous episode. Uh, I, you know, early on, um, I would have thought that that was a good thing to do. Nowadays, I'm not too sure because, you know, it. it I think that sets a bad precedent. Um, unfortunately, that you know the the governor's role has been. Uh, restricted and restrained and uh, all that over, um, you know, due to improvements or amendments to the Victorian Constitution. And I feel that if the governor was to turn around and say, well, no, I'm not going to give this bill royal assent and warn the Andrews regime uh, about it, I, I think that that would likely... Uh, make matters worse because the regime has got the numbers uh, to pass uh, amendments to the constitution, which could pre- um, you know prohibit the uh, governor from giving bills royal assent, and that that is something that would be scary. Uh, so you know it, it'd be a matter of whatever passes the house, the royal the the governor just rubber stamps. Um, because I don't think we can get rid of the governor rubber stamping the bills. Uh, so, you know, you wouldn't want her not to do it. Uh, and, and that, you know, as much as I, I don't agree with this bill and I think that it should never have been um, brought up in the House and, you know, um, I think that the four crossbenchers are going to have a lot to answer for 
come the election next year and, and their life after politics because this is going to be their legacy. They're the ones who have signed, allowed the Andrews regime to sign into law, um, you know, substantially draconian measures. And uh, Adam Somurek was in, uh, what was he on, ABC or something like that, he, um, again, talking about it. Now, I was going to include clips on, on this episode but I uh, haven't had a time to, uh, to listen to that uh, interview to dig into a bit more detail and I might do it over the weekend. Um, but that being said, you know, has effectively allowed the the government to rule by decree. Um, you know, it, it's going to be remain to be seen uh, come November next year whether he allows the election to take place. Um, yes, constitutionally there's nothing that he can do to stop it, um, though that doesn't mean to say that, he wouldn't. He couldn't try. Uh, you know, he could just. You know, looking at that, and you know, digging a bit more into that one. Now, one of the questions asked by Bernie Finn um, of the attorney Ms. Symes was whether the bill had the uh, the ability to restrict people from voting, and the answer was no. Then the question was, does it have the ability to restrict people from turning up to vote? So that's in person voting. The answer was no. Um, I would have liked uh, Mr. Finn to dig a bit deeper and and ask the question: Does it restrict people from turning up to vote at their at the polling booth of their choice? Uh, I believe that there is likely to be uh, something that you know the if it comes to it that there is going to be a, a thing where there's going to be the the clean and the unclean um, polling ba- uh, polling booths. Uh, may even put it down and, you know, have people that you can vote if you satisfy this, this and this criteria. If not, then you have to postal vote. Uh, I, you know, I I believe that that is something that would be within, uh, I'm not going to say the spirit of the law because we have no idea what the spirit of this legislation is and, to say it future-proofs Parliament for, uh, you know, Victoria for future pandemics. Well, we're told that this one is a one-in-a-hundred-year virus, a one-in-a-hundred-year pandemic that has done this to us when it's got a, a you know, 99 or 98.8% survival rate. So if it's a one-in-a-one-hundred-year thing, why create draconian legislation like this unless you plan to use it if the next you know, pandemic is likely to be in 100 years. I mean, who's to say what Parliament's going to look like in 100 years' time? Uh, so why why go to all this grief now to pass laws that are that draconian and have substantial measures in it that it does unless he plans to use it? Uh, so, you know, it, it's it'll be interesting to, to see what happens. Uh, I think that we should all be planning for the worst, hope for the best, plan for the worst. Uh, and remember, no plan survives first contact with the enemy um, and and all that. So uh, getting back onto it um, where I was before, I don't think that the governor should uh, refuse to give it royal assent. I, I think it's a bad precedent. It sets – because, okay, so let's say, you know, we, we allow this one to happen. So the governor gives it – doesn't give it royal assent, um, warns the government and everything like that. What happens the next time? So let's talk, let's say something comes later on where the there's a, a change of government and the Liberal Party 
uh, forms a coalition with whoever else and decides to pass a law that, okay, let's say hypothetical here that the Andrews, um, Andrews regime loses at the next election and the coalition has to form government with Liberal Democrats and one of their policies is, you know, let's say, um, okay, let, let's pick gun rights because um, that's going to be something that uh, will uh, get people upset. Let's say go through the whole parliamentary process that they want to uh, change the Weapons Act to make it uh, easier for people. Sorry, I won't say easier, um, less restrictive to for people to have, uh, for law-abiding firearms owners to have one. So let's say that. It goes through the full process because the, um, the coalition, which will be, you know, that I mentioned, has the numbers in the upper house and lower house and passes the bill. The the socialists and Marxists on the other side of the chamber will turn around and agitate their people and get enough union members and others who will say that that's a bad thing. So then they'll do the same thing, go down to the governor, whether it's uh, the same one now or a different one in a couple of years' time, and do the same thing. And then that bill gets knocked on the head. So, you know, I, I think it, it's going to set a bad precedent. The best way to do to get rid of this bill is either the vote the bastards out at the next election, yes, we have to put up, up with it for 12 months, uh, or just go through court cases. As soon as the bills get enacted, as soon as it gets enacted, um, you know, uh, what is it? The, the first pandemic declaration is declared, bang, let's just take it. Let's test, take it to court. Well, no. It's not a pandemic, it's an endemic. And let's put it down now, What? who decides what a pandemic is? What constitutes something of a pandemic potential? And let the courts fight it out. So, And, you know, hopefully uh, get an injunction against some of the draconian orders that we're going to see. But, you know, this is the way to fight it. Fight it through the courts. And, you know, this is something that can come out in our favour because it, it does set precedent. Now, um, not sure, um, you know... It, Actually, I won't go there because I'm. That's something that's related to the US, and I don't want to get things confused by bringing US matters into something that that I'm talking about Australia. So, but you know, it's the thing is that we can set precedent by changing laws through court. The courts they can either say, "Well, hey, hang on, this is what the evidence says. Hey, there's only a, a 1.2 percent fatality rate. Is that a pandemic? If it is a pandemic, well, what about the um, uh, you know something that is pandemic potential uh, for that. What uh, you know? What about uh, heart disease? Is that not of pandemic pandemic potential there because of the way that it is and the number of deaths, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera? Uh, so I think that we should challenge it in the courts and let the courts clear it all up uh, and all that sort of stuff. And you know, if it has to go all the way to the high court, well, then so be it um, and all that. So now, speaking of that, there was. Uh, where are we? Trying to find the article now. Um, ah, here we go. In The Age today. Now, I know The Age is just like the Daily Mail. Um, the you know, Really, if you're going to uh, reference uh, articles in, in those things as proof of something, then uh, you know, I, I think you've already lost your claim. But uh, I'm not asking that for proof. I'm using this as uh, sort of like uh, to, to create the topic of conversation. Uh, it's an article by uh, their senior political correspondent, 
Josh Gordon. He says, rising states' authority leaves the federal government uh, grasping for relevance. Now, this is interesting because we know the Commonwealth has been um, hesitant to act on anything to rein in the control of the states. Now, uh, I, I believe to a certain extent that there is no uh, constitutional justification for the states uh, and that was set down by the Franklin Dam incident, uh, High Court case, uh, where, so for those who came in late, Tasmanian government wanted to dam the Franklin River uh, and all that sort of stuff. So I went through the process and it, it was legally done under Tasmanian law. The, high, um, the Australian government at the time challenged it uh, in the High Court based on the grounds that they didn't have the authority to do it, so they stopped it, or was it the the state, anyway, one of them. Anyway, it ended up in the High Court and the Commonwealth turned around and said no, that they did have the constitutional authority to overrule it because of the external pro- external affairs provision of the high uh, of the com- uh, the Constitution. So, uh, and that, you know, obviously relates to um, multinational treaties, bilateral treaties, etc., etc., that the Commonwealth has signed up for. Now, I believe that that decision there negated the power of the states because if you have a look at uh, all the treaties that we've signed up for, well, all of them have been done through the external uh, affairs provisions of that. So there's discrimination, there's um, wages, there's all sorts of stuff. Uh, and so effectively that's given the state, the Commonwealth more power over the state. So with that, I don't think that there's any... Um, you, you know, you could argue any decision that the states made could be overridden by the Commonwealth because of that. So in, in this instance, the Commonwealth could easily challenge these laws because of the uh, the ratification. I think we've ratified it, uh, the Universal um, United Nations thing on human rights and all that sort of stuff, or even uh, if we've signed up to uh, – I don't think we've ratified – anything to do with Nuremberg, uh, as much as people want to say that there's going to be trials and all that sort of stuff, as I said before, I, you know, it, it's not going to come anytime soon. It might be a decade, if not more, before it happens. Uh, so um, so let's say, for example, we've, we've signed up to this um, UN Treaty on Human Rights and Human Rights prohibits the experimental medica- um, medical procedures. I believe that the Commonwealth could use that to, to govern it, uh, to turn around and say, well, no, you don't have the constitutional authority to mandate uh, the jabs uh, because at the moment the series of therapeutics are experimental because they've been given provisional registration and they're part of the Black Triangle Scheme. So from that part, uh, yes, it is. It's, you know, it's experimental. Once it's been given full approval, then that will be a different story. Uh, let's hope that all this is sorted out before that actually happens um, because it will be concerning. Though that being said, um, what's going to happen with all new boosters if it's um, being changed to uh, cater to a particular variant? That is that a change of the medication or is it something that's going to be approved like the flu jabs are every year? Uh, you know, that that's something that remains to be seen. Now, uh, something that I'll get into in the, the Culleton letter um, that is put out is that um, 
there was the uh, Queensland Rail matter where – so for those who came in late, Queensland Rail used to be QR. It used to be a state-owned um, body and then became an authority, then became a um, government-owned corporation and all that sort of stuff. All these things changed and, and everything like that. So when it came time to uh, for enterprise agreements, the unions um, said no, we're under th- – that what the employment conditions were governed by the Fair Work Act, whereas Queensland Rail and the government turned around and said, no, you're under state legislation because you're a, um, a state authority, et cetera, et cetera. But at that point in time, um, Queensland Rail, I think, had become a, um, I think it was a government-owned corporation uh, under, I think that was under Newman who did that. Uh, when was that? About 2015. Uh, so it was a trading corporation within the meaning of Section 5110 of the Constitution. So as it was deemed to be a trading consti- uh, a trading corporation under the Constitution, that the relationship between the employees uh, was governed by Commonwealth law, not state law. So when the Fair Work Act came out, so prior to the Fair Work Act, uh, there were state laws and there was federal law and everything like that. And with the Fair Work Act, that was brought out to get all, um, apart from some designated um, state authorities, to get everyone under the, the Fair Work Act, under Commonwealth uh, legislation. From Victoria, it didn't apply because way back in the Kennett era, uh, Kennett handed all those powers over to the Commonwealth, so there were no, no more state awards in Victoria, or there were transitional ones under Victoria. Um, from Kennett because he wanted it all under the uh, Commonwealth banner. So when the Fair Work Act came out, all the states handed over their stuff to the Commonwealth and so that the Commonwealth manages that. So that get back gets back onto that. So there is, we'll have to wait and see what happens with VCAT challenges, et cetera, et cetera, that the state doesn't have the authority to tell a trading corporation, uh, a constitutional corporation under the um, under the constitution, sorry, getting too many constitutions here, um, how to manage its staff because that relationship between employees and staff is a private one and the state can't control it. So there's also that clause in the constitution that says if there's a discrepancy um, between state and commonwealth law, that commonwealth is the overriding one. And it comes back to this. So uh, this is going to be something that's a bit more in-depth than uh, just a... um, a, a podcast here so hopefully you know i have a feeling that uh those challenges may get all the way to the high court there on the grounds that um the, the precedent set um doesn't will it fall over at vcat i don't know i mean but vcat can't turn around and say well yes the state does have the ability to control the employment relationship when the high court says no so um we'll just have to wait and see what happens with that one so going back to where i was before that I don't think that constitutionally the states can exist anymore in their current form. So um, for that, because uh, I think the only way that they could do it is if the Commonwealth hasn't signed up to any um, multinational education uh, treaties, um, health treaties or anything like that. If it has, well, then the states lose the ability to... um, to manage that because of the external external affairs provision of the Commonwealth. Um, yeah, so, you know, I would have liked to have seen the Morrison government do more, though I think because an election's coming up, 
that they're not game enough to do it. Maybe if they win the next election, they might, um, but by then is it too late? Uh, you know, because you know people would have lost their jobs left, right, and centre, um, segregated from society, all that sort of stuff. So I mean, what's the what's the ramifications if the Andrews regimes are fa- regimes laws, uh, which you know, let's say for example, the directions which are um, statutory in- instrument are found to be uh, invalid. What happens there? Is there a massive compensation claim from that, that all these people who have suffered losses and everything like that? Is there a massive claim there? Um, you know, who knows? Uh, so, you know, that's something we'll just have to have to wait and see what happens. Um, but I, I think that the courts are the way to do it um, and all that sort of stuff. So I don't think they're challenging these directions uh, through, sorry, getting the bill um, not royal, you know, not being given royal assent. I don't think that that's the right way to do things. Um, so, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see what happens with that. Uh, what else is there? A um, couple of things that are concerning coming out from the corrupt corporate press that I do want to talk about. So, as we know, the uh, I'm not going to call them mainstream media because they're not. Um, they're the agenda agenda pushing. Uh, corrupt corporate press, um, they have their particular narrative that uh, what's going on now, you know, they're, they're pushing the narrative about what's happening in the world. Now, before I want to get to that get to that clip that reinforces how um, far down the rabbit hole and, and how much gaslighting that they're doing, I just want to play this one. Um, I might have to turn it up a bit because I think that what the reporter or journalist says to, I think it's the New South Wales Health Minister, um, Hazard, that is concerning. So um, let's see how we go with this one. The UN has called travel restrictions apathy. Should the travel bans be... Apathy? Apathy. Can I read it? Apartheid. Can you read the question again to me? Sorry. Apartheid, yeah. Okay. That means, called, anyway, yeah, it's all right. Okay. Right. The UN has called travel restrictions apartheid. Should the travel ban be put in place? Um, now, uh, you know, I'm not normally one to um, have a crack at people for mispronunciation of things and not understanding words because, man, I've done it. First time I saw Buckholden written down um, on paper, I had no idea how to pronounce it. So um, for that my concern is, is that this is uh, a journalist who was going out to talk to the health minister of New South Wales. So I'm fairly confident to say that they are a little bit further up the food chain. They're not just an intern that has started and they um, weren't aware of how apartheid was was spelt. Um, so it was um, apathied. And, you know, it that's concerning because then... If that's the case, and that is the state of um, journalism in you know cor- corporate journalism in this country, and they're getting that wrong, what else are they getting wrong? Um, you know, we know that they've given the Andrews regime, and even you know to a, um, a, an extent the Morrison government, um, free kicks on this. Um, their, their handling of this quote-unquote pandemic when, you know, at what point in time, some asked before, is what time, point in time does it become endemic and no longer a pandemic? 
Um, so, you know, they've given them free kicks about that. They've given them free kicks about the not hand, um, disclosing of um, health information and all that sort of stuff. They've just gone, um, you know, so pushing this this big scaremongering narrative that it just it really baffles me. And I mean, you know, if, if they had been doing half their job right at the start, I doubt this bill would have come out um, because it's not needed. Um, so, but anyway, uh, going on to that, here's something that appeared in uh, the WA News, uh, I think it was yesterday. Far-right fringe groups are infiltrating the anti-vax movement using terrorist recruitment methods to radicalise vulnerable people. Crime reporter Joey Catanzaro can exclusively reveal the woman allegedly behind the latest threat to the Premier could be one of them. Now, if um, admittedly it's WA, so I'm not too um, up to speed on what happened with that one. Though, from what I could gather from that news report, someone drove into a power pole at the front of the Premier's place. Now... Um, this particular individual uh, lost their partner. Um, their partner died, uh, and supposedly it is claimed that that death was related to um, this series of therapeutics. Uh, though their participation in that um, practice hasn't been confirmed, though the media has been all all ready to jump up and down saying that this is an anti-vax protest, uh, an attempt on the premier's life, etc. You know, all they did was crash into a phone pole on the street. It could have been that they were coincidentally driving down the street, lost control of their vehicle out the front of the Premier's place. You know, did it happen that way? Don't know. Um, except the media's jumping on board this whole big boogeyman uh, far-right narrative bullshit that is being put out by, uh, you know, I'll say, you know, I'll say, you know the, the corrupt ruling class to create further division in society and to, um, to to gaslight those who are opposed to these draconian measures uh, and everything like that. Now, at the end of that clip, turns around and, and raises concern for the poor premier who has to, you know, who has to live his life in his home under twenty-four hour police guard. Yet, these are the same journalists or the, the same corrupt corporate press who don't give a shit about all the people that are living in um, Howard Springs. Now, I know it's a different state because there's no Howard Springs in WA. Howard Springs is in the Northern Territory. Though they're all still part of the same machine or the same industrial corrupt, whatever it is, yet they don't give a shit about that. Those people living in or being forced to live in Howard Springs under police guard uh, because, you know, it is an offence to try and escape, as we've seen um, by those three people who escaped. They were hunted, broken the laws, probably ended up in prison because of it um, and all that sort of stuff. And then they even go further and, you know, Tucker Carlson uh, did uh, had a bit of a, a rant about that and that trying to wake Americans up as to what happens and this is, um, where is it, in, in the Daily Mail, it says, To drive his point home, the Fox News presenter brought up a recent incident involving three people who escaped from one of Australia's main quarantine facilities for travellers arriving in the country from abroad, which he labelled a concentration camp. In case you're wondering, and it goes on, this is a quote from him, In case you're wondering, doesn't seem like any of these escapees actually have COVID, he said. There's no evidence that they were infecting anybody, but it didn't matter. They're supposed to be behind bars now, but they're not—they're uh, supposed to be behind bars now. They're not. So police set up roadblocks, checkpoints, brought in dogs. It's a democracy. Doesn't seem very healthy. 
Um, so, but this is the thing. I think that we need to understand, and um, this is something that that Somirak mentions in his clip, is that the state has no ability to quarantine anyone. Only the Commonwealth does. So, if if we're if the states are quarantining people, they can't do it. So it's an illegal detention because the state has no authority to quarantine. If they're detaining people under the Public Health Act, then that's not a quarantine. That's a detention. And it also goes against um, the human rights things, which is the um, uh, presumption of innocence. Yes, I know the presumption of innocence only applies to criminal trials. It doesn't apply to a civil trial, though this is the thing. This is what we're doing. We're giving up our right to the presumption of innocence by going along with this stuff. Well, you know, isn't it up to the state to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that, hey, you have done something wrong rather than just locking up in detention till you can prove your innocence? And this is something that goes with the whole um, roadside breath tests and, and everything like that. Um, you know, looking at the, the hotel, you know, um, these detention centres. So you, you're detained under the Public Health and Wellbeing Act until you can prove your innocence that you don't have the Wu flu. And the only way you can do that is by spending two weeks in there. If you don't come down with symptoms, then you're free to go. If you do come down with symptoms, well, then you're detained even further. Um, so yeah, um, now bringing that back to, uh, roadside, uh, random breath tests, you get pulled over anytime you want. They can put you on the huff and huff and puff anytime they want. They can, um, put up roadblocks to block your way to say, this is what you need to go. You need to prove that you haven't been consuming alcohol or you're not driving impaired or under the influence or with an, um, uh, blood alcohol, is a blood, blood alcohol concentration or breath? alcohol content anyway whatever it is a BAC um, percentage over 0.05 so you have to prove that they don't have to turn around and say yeah hey you know what you're right and this is why now this one I'm going to reference what happens in the US because it's the thing is that their constitution um, what is it prevents um, illegal search or, or whatever it is and I think that's how the roadside sobriety tests came along because Stopping for a random breath test is unconstitutional in the US because you're assuming someone's guilty of something. So that's why they put you through the roadside sobriety test, get you to walk in a line, touch your nose, stand on your foot and say the alphabet backwards and all that sort of shit because there's different things there that have been shown that if someone's impaired, you know, it, that's a, a, a thing. You're, not, you're just asking them to participate in that and then if they fail any part of the test, then it you know, gives a probable cause for someone being impaired by um, a particular substance. Um, you know, this is what I'd like to see come out here. Um, I'd love to see someone challenge the legality of, um, you know, uh, the roadside breath tests. Um, I think that they're a crock, um, that it's just done for revenue raising um, and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, um, um, as I said in um, previous episodes, I'm, I'm more moving to the anacro-capitalist anacro or whatever it is thing, the ANCAPs. Um, think, you know, I think that um, conservatism is gone. Uh, it's just um, socialism, uh, you know, a lighter, lighter version of socialism because whatever the um, socialists and Marxists bring in, is never reversed. None of the shit's ever reversed that they bring in. So, you know, what what are conservatives supposed to be conserving? Um, who knows? 
Uh, so anyway, getting right along before I start going down that rabbit hole. Um, what else is there? Oh, yes, um, there's a thing in, once again, the Daily Mail. Um, get ready for boosters every year. Pfizer boss says annual jabs needed to maintain very high protection. As he denies profiteering from the 1650-pound jab, claiming it costs the same as a takeaway meal. Um, yeah, it may cost the same as a takeaway meal, except you're getting you're pushing that on millions of people every year. And to go on to that, this is a load of bullshit that the Andrews regime is buying. Well, not 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 quite, because of course we've got boosters to roll out, and we haven't got decisions yet from Atagi about the their view about the efficacy of that. Just how important those booster shots will be. The emergence of this new variant speaks directly to the fact that a third, particularly with mRNA vaccines, a third dose can be absolutely critical in preserving the integrity and the efficacy and the protection uh, from the original course, the first and the second dose. We've also got a paediatric vaccine to roll out. Uh, I had hoped that we would have started that by now, but there's processes to go through and hopefully come January, uh, ahead of the school year starting, we can begin to roll out vaccinations for 5 to 11-year-olds. And I see some data printed in the paper today, some survey, uh, that shows very clearly parents don't want their kids to get sick. Um, if, I'll start with his last comment. What a load of shit. Don't want kids to get sick. Kids get sick roughly, you know, new kids going to school get sick roughly once a month. They bring home something from school and if you've got school-age kids, you know that they've always got sniffles or something like that. If you're lucky, it skips you as a parent. If you're unlucky, then you get your sniffles and whatever else. But, you know, this is the thing. What a load of bullshit. And and it's because of the fear-mongering from the corrupt corporate press that this is going on and that people are shit-scared about, you know, their kids essentially getting something that for children is little worse than a flu and, you know, but it's the thing. Take note of what he said. It's the a series of boosters and and how you can call something that needs three shots now of vaccine is just fucking beyond me. Um, but it's the thing. Every new variant that comes out is going to be a booster. They're going to create, oh, no, 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 we, we can't go to endemic status now. We still need to keep the pandemic declaration going because there's variant theta or there's variant um, epsilon or variant who knows what. But then what happens when they run out of letters of the Greek alphabet and they're going to start doing numbers or they're going to call it double Greek letters, whatever. Um, but this shit's never going to end. The only way it's going to end is that when we the people say it ends, that that's enough. Um, now, adding on to that, um, here's another quote from the um, Stearman in Chief, um, Stearman Andrews, um, from I think it was a press conference yesterday. So, the more the more we can keep uh, people who are not vaccinated away uh, from those who are, given that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, then the safer we will be. It won't be forever. It won't be enduring. It is based on science. Now, let's make it clear. First of all, this is not a fucking pandemic of the unvaccinated. It was vaccinated people, if you can call them that, who brought the moronic variant into this country because you can only get into this country if you're double jabbed. So for for him to go against science and say that just proves that he doesn't understand the science. But there's also none of this, not one decision that has been made through this whole, from the beginning, has been based on science. It's all been based on fear, 
and the ability and um, a, a, a lust, a thirst for power and control. Um, as I said, you know what? I'll accept the 14 days to flatten the curve because we didn't know what was going on. There was no information there. Since that time, we're nearly, what, 20-odd months into it, there is no mention of people getting outside. What they can do, apart from participating in this therapeutic trial, what they can do to reduce their chances of succumbing to, I'm I'm, I'm talking about becoming fatal, you know, this virus being fatal or having long-term complications. There is no talk about that. There is no, no one's saying anything about what's going on, what they can do. So, you know, this is not based in science. You know, where's the science that Andrew's had uh, that justified keeping kids out of playgrounds? Where's the science in that? Where's the science that says, you know, as an adult, you can't go out to the playground and consume an alcoholic beverage, though you can go to the same playground and have a coffee? Where was the science behind that? It had not a freaking thing to do with science. So, you know, I think it's time that people need to wake up and realise that these these people are hiding behind science. This is because, you know, oh, no, no, you can't question the science. When, you know, it's something that I've, outside of this, I've said for years, science is nothing more than a religion. It is, seriously, it is just another religion because you can't question the science when, in actual fact, science wants to be questioned. Um, you know, so we'll just have to wait and see. Um, sorry, I'm flicking through my tabs here. What else have I got? Oh, um, horse, horse now, yesterday, uh, yesterday came out that the Andrews regime was going to ban horse drawn carriages from the CBD. Now, that is only a particular area, um, public roads in within the CBD bounded by Flinders Street, Spring Street, Latrobe Street, and Spencer Street. Um, so you can't have um, picked up uh, off the off the street, so it'll, be, it'll ban the ones who park on the side of the street, though you still can book one to go through the area. So it says operators will still be allowed to drive the carriages outside of the zone, of, within outside of this zone within the city of Melbourne with pre-booked carriages, uh, pre-booked passengers. So all it does is include exclude um, horse-drawn carriages from that area. So it's not, you know, so you know, this, this is the thing. Medic's going to claim this is a win. Um, I believe this was um, pushed by the watermelons uh, and all that sort of stuff. So it's, you know, token, token um, crumbs. You know, they've, they've sold out the, the safety and, um, no, safety democracy of this state and the ability for this state to function um, for, 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 you know, freaking crumbs like this. Um. What else is there today? Um, coming up to, where are we, 39 minutes. Oh, Cullerton letter. Um, that's something that I wanted to talk about. Now, Rod Cullerton has um, a website. Let me dig it up. And I, ah, there we go, votegap.com. Now, if you go to um, votegap.com, V-O-T-E-G-A-P.com, G-A-P is a Great Australia Party. He does a letter of response to workplace direction to vaccinate. Uh, This was posted 24th of November. He does have a couple of little clips there, uh, template letters for different states. Now, obviously, being in Victoria, 
downloaded the one that makes reference to Victoria. Uh, this, I believe that this letter um, is probably substantially more, um, could have a greater impact than anything produced by uh, RDA uh, because it makes, um, lets things go, uh, gets things into a, a better detail. So it does mention the um, Queensland Rail case that I talk, spoke about before, uh, Corporations Act, Constitution, etc., uh, etc. Et so if you can find it, uh, I do recommend that if you haven't had your employment terminated, um, I do recommend that you send that off um, because I think that that could be um, an extra thing that you could use if it comes to it that... Uh, these mandates were overturned um, and everything like that. Um, ultimately, obviously, it depends on whether the employer is likely to take that on board and say, you know what, yes, as far as we're concerned, um, there's, you know, that's right, you you know, you have reasonable grounds for refusing to follow a direction, um, so we'll just have to wait and see. Um, yeah, whether you do it or not, I think you get your own legal advice, but... Um, Obviously, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't give you any advice because I'm not taking into account your personal circumstances, though based on my understanding of things, I think that this is a far better letter than the one produced by RDA. Um, So what else is there? I think that's about it for today. Um, Yeah, see what's going to happen over the next couple of days. I did something I did want to get to on this one was the um, the patents uh, amendments to the Sex Work Act, which used to be the Prostitution Act, um, the Sex Work Decriminalisation Bill, because there are some concerning things in there um, and its implications for um, you know for, for for society for wider society. Now, one thing that is interesting about that one is that the government's going to be bringing out, um, I think it's probably going to happen, actually it'd have to happen next year, um, early next year, they're going to bring out and maybe something that they take as an election issue is that they're going to be bringing out um, what they call affirmative consent laws and one of that is going to um, make what they call um, stealthing uh, a crime. Now that's where you remove the condom when you're doing what you're doing um, and all that sort of stuff. So under that will be a crime, whereas if you have a look at this uh, decriminalisation bill, that's no longer a crime there. So if you're engaging a sex worker, you're not breaking the law if you do that, but if you're, an intim- you're in a consenting relationship with someone and you do it, then, yes, you are guilty of a crime there. So, um, you know, it's the thing. Um, I believe that the, all these bills and all this Marxist shit that's coming out is designed to... Um, uh, fracture society and to break up society and to create division and everything like that uh, and all that sort of stuff. So, but uh, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. I'll, I'll see if I can get through it tomorrow um, and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, um, that's about it. I think that's about it for this one. Um, thanks for listening. Um, join me on the next one. Uh, should be trying to do one tomorrow morning. Um, Apologies about this one coming late. I have to pick up a school uh, school pack 
from a book pack, sorry, from my son's school. Uh, so I did that early in the morning. Um, but yeah, so anyway, um, as I said, thanks for listening. Um, have a look at the fifth estate, fifth dot estate. Um, this one's going to be episode um, 15. Uh, go for the show notes, I'll include links to all that sort of stuff in the show notes. Um, subscribe to the mailing list, please become a member. If you listen to this on all your podcast apps and whatever else, uh, five stars is the minimum I will accept. Not that I can accept anything else, uh, anything different. If you do four, hey, I accept it, but, uh, you know, five scores, five stars helps me in that and please feel free to leave any comments. Um, so anyway, thanks for listening. I look forward to having, me, having you join me on the next one. Bye for now.